0: Good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians, we will be in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4 of the book of Galatians this morning. Now, throughout the book of Galatians, and in particular in chapter 3, Paul continually uses the Greek preposition hupo, hupo which we uh, have brought into the English language through the prefix hypo. So hypothermia or hypoglycemia. These are terms that talk about having right, low blood uh, sugar or low body temperature. It's low. It's under. That is what this word means, under. So whenever we see this word under throughout Galatians, it's this preposition, uh, hupo. Now, why do I share this? Well, prior to the victory of Christ over sin and death, the world and each one of us are under the power and the control of sin and death. So listen to uh, just a few places where Paul uses this preposition throughout chapter 3 of Galatians. Galatians 3.10 For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Verse 22. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. And in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. As this last verse explains, it is the gospel itself that comes so that we might move out from being under, under the law, under sin, under death. In our passage for this morning, I want you to notice three times this word under appears and how it is that Christ was willing to place himself under that all who place their faith in him. Might be freed. So, hear now the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also. When we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come now to your word. And we know that it is by your word that we come to see true light It is in Your truth that we find freedom. It is in Your will that we discover Your peace. So open our eyes, O God, we do pray, and send into our heart the Spirit of Your Son that through hearing the promise of Your Word and by receiving the promise of Your Spirit, we too might cry out, Abba, Father. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I want to begin by telling the story of two geniuses. One you most likely have heard of, and the other, maybe less likely. They are Robert Oppenheimer, the leader of the Manhattan Project, which developed the first nuclear bomb, and Chris Langham, who has not really accomplished much of anything of great significance to date. The contrast between the two lives of these men was outlined in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. Maybe you've read it and are familiar with this. Now, Robert Oppenheimer was extremely intelligent. His intelligence was displayed from a young age when he began writing to geological societies about the rocks that he had found around Long Island. He went on to receive his undergraduate degree from Harvard, his graduate degree from Cambridge. He's considered the founding father of the American School of Theoretical Physics, and after leading the development of the first nuclear bomb, he became the director of the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton. Oppenheimer was brilliant, and he was able to apply his brilliance towards monumental achievements. Chris Langham is also extremely intelligent. It is estimated that his IQ is between 190 and 210. For reference, Einstein's IQ was 160. However, Langen has never achieved anything of great significance. He started college but lost his scholarship the second year due to a paperwork issue, he says. After a few years, he started college a second time but he couldn't arrange a ride to get to class on time, so eventually he dropped out. He spent most of his life working as a bouncer in a bar. He currently lives on a horse ranch in Missouri. He has never had any of his work published by a major publisher, nor has he invented or patented any new technology. So what is the difference between these two men? Now, while there are many things that we could point to, This one factor, I believe, goes a long way in explaining the difference. Their respective fathers. When Oppenheimer was a young boy, he was invited by a geological society to speak at their annual convention. But they did not know how old he was. They assumed that he was a mature scientist. And young Oppenheimer was terrified. He asked his father, please write back to them and tell them that I cannot accept this invitation. But his father encouraged him. His father challenged him. His father made him write out a speech, get up in front of this crowd and nervously read what he had prepared. And as you would expect, this crowd was intrigued by this young man. And instead of laughing at his inexperience, cheered him on for having such brilliance and courage to stand before them. Oppenheimer's father taught him the value that he could bring to this world through his gift of genius. In contrast, Langham's father left before he was even born. Langham's mother had a series of husbands and the last one to stick around was abusive and was intimidated by Langham's intelligence. Langham recalls one moment when his stepfather asked him, do you know how far the sun is from the earth? And Langham replied in his precocious way, well, yes, I do. It's somewhere between 92 and 93 million miles away from the earth. When he gave the correct answer, Langham didn't receive praise. Rather, He received a slap across the face for being such a know-it-all. And these two images, these two points in these young men's lives capture the difference that Paul is driving home here in Galatians 4, that between a slave and a son. Too often we relate to God as though He is planning to smack us across the face if we get out of line. That is, we live as though He were not our loving Father, but He was a harsh taskmaster. And as we live out of this false view of our relationship with the Lord, we are stuck never to live out the full freedom and power which has been given to us in Christ. Never to have the life which God intends for His children. Stuck under the law. Stuck under sin. Stuck under death. Nevertheless, Christians need not live under such fear and servitude, but rather because of the work of Christ on our behalf and the witness of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Every Christian can live in the freedom and the confidence of a true Son. Now the first thing that Paul wants to establish here in chapter 4 is why it is that we do not live as true sons look down at verses 1 through 3 of our text there Paul begins to develop this metaphor and then explains what it means there in verse 3 so let's look at that he says I mean that the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In verse 1, Paul lays out this contrast between an heir and a slave. The heir is the child of a wealthy father, yet for a period the son must wait to receive the blessing of the inheritance. Even though everything belongs to him in a potential manner, he doesn't have control of it yet. And so, in this way, he is like a servant in the home. He has chores he must accomplish. He has assignments he must finish. If he wants to buy something, he has to ask for permission. If he wants to sell something, he can only do that if the father agrees or the manager that the father has placed over him. And you could imagine it. A young man frustrated by waiting for his inheritance, thinking that he knew best how to use the resources of the house, saying, I am no better off than a slave or a servant in my house. That is a foolish statement. Because he merely needs to wait, and one day he will own everything. But a child is not mature enough to handle such responsibilities. And so, as this metaphor continues, he is placed under the tutelage of a manager until the date set by his father. There's a time when the father knows that his son will be old enough to handle all the responsibilities and rights of his sonship. He won't squander all the family fortune on drink and women and gambling and self-indulgence. Though he is a son, he is under supervision. Now Paul draws the connection. He says that we also were like children for a period. We were enslaved under the elementary principles of the world. Now, what are these elementary principles? Well, there's a lot of debate about what they actually are. But within the text, if we read the context around it, it's clear that in some way they relate to the law. Right, That we were under the law, we were enslaved to these elementary principles. And this makes sense because the law is like the ABCs of spiritual life. It's the rudiments, it's the basics. And we were enslaved under these rudiments of spiritual life. They teach us what it is that we are to do. They give us a foundation. They guard us. They protect us from causing harm to ourselves and others. And for a period, God's people were like children enslaved to these basics of spiritual grammar. They were held captive under the law, under this manager. And yet we know that the law, as verse 22 in chapter 3 explains, enslaves everything to sin. Paul is explaining that we live like servants because our sin causes us to be used to living like servants. We are used to living under the law. For this is the natural state of every person born into this world. We are born under the law and therefore under the power of sin. By our own transgressions, we have been trained to live as though we are servants and not sons. And if we are servants, then everything that we get is because of our works. If we want acceptance, we must perform well. If we want reward, we must work hard. If we want a place in the family, we must earn it. This is the life of one who relates to God as a slave and not a son. You live in fear of rejection and not the freedom of complete acceptance. You live defensive of all of your actions, never able to repent because you are not confident in your justification. You are unable to learn from criticism or the wisdom of others rather than being able to learn from proper correction in your life. To live like a servant means you are constantly concerned that discipline means a slap across the face instead of an encouragement to get up. And share your talents despite your fears. You see, we are trapped believing that we are no better off than a servant because we have been trained by our own sin to live like slaves before God. We are stuck under the law. We long to move to the freedom of reading and writing as it were, but we are confided to the ABCs. We desire to know the freedom of sonship, but our sin keeps us under the management, the guardianship, the prison cell of slavery. Why don't we live like a son? Because our sin holds us down as slaves. So then how might we find freedom from our sin? How might we find the freedom to live like a son? Well, Paul goes on in verses 4 through 5 to explain to us how we gain the right to live like sons and not slaves. Look down there at verses 4 through 5 of your text. Paul says, But, right, there's a contrast. You once lived like this, but when the fullness of time had come. Right. The father set a time that was right for the son to receive the inheritance right from verses one through three. Now, Paul is saying, God, in the fullness of time, sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's people were living as slaves to sin, but God as a father appointed a time, the right time to free his people from their bondage to sin. For in the fullness of time, God sent his son. That is, God the father sent God the son to the world to free his people from their sin and adopt them into the family. To accomplish this task, God the son had to first be joined to humanity. He had to be born of a woman, as it says. He had to take upon Himself our flesh and our blood. He had to become our brother, what we call the incarnation, what we celebrate on Christmas, the incarnation of the Son of God. He was born of a woman. He was one with us. The next thing that He had to do was to be born under the law. To be born under the law means that He had to submit Himself to the guardianship Of the law. He had to be imprisoned under its regulations. Think about this. The very God through whom and for whom all things were created. Was willing to submit himself to the elementary principles of this world that he created. It's like Shakespeare was confined to only writing out his ABCs. When he could have been writing sonnets and Hamlet. We were under sin and the law. But Jesus, the Son of God, placed Himself under these powers to redeem us from their power. He made Himself a slave to set us free. That is what the word redeem in your text means. To redeem means to buy one's freedom. And at the perfect time, The Son of God became a man, lived under the tutelage of the law, went to the cross, poured out His blood to buy the freedom of His people held under slavery to sin. Why? So that we might be adopted as sons, as the text says. And therefore we can live like sons and not slaves. Because the Son of God placed Himself under the law, under sin, under the curse, under death, under the ground. But on the third day, He rose again. He rose above their power and He ascended to the right hand of God. And all who have been joined to Him by faith are no longer under, but we too have risen. And we have risen with Christ and we are seated with Christ even now at the right hand of God. We are no longer subject to the law or to sin or to death, for we have been redeemed. We have been brought into the family of God. Do you desire the freedom of a true Son of God? You must understand that you are enslaved by your sin, but all of those who turn to Jesus Christ in faith are brought out from under the weight of the law and of sin and are fully forgiven and accepted. We don't live like true sons because of our sin, but by God's grace we have been given adoption into His family. And therefore we can live with freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, freedom from condemnation. If you desire to live with such confidence before the face of the god uh, before the face of god you must continually look to the cross in faith if you have never placed your faith in jesus christ today is offered to you complete and total forgiveness and adoption into the family of god repent of your sin turn from your sin be willing to confess your sin knowing that through faith in jesus christ you will not be contemned for the sin that you confess but you will be brought into the family and if you have placed your faith in christ but struggle to live as a son go back to your adoption papers And remind yourself that they have been signed by the blood of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Complete and total acceptance. One with the family of God. A son with a true inheritance. Even life everlasting. You see, we don't live like sons because of our sin. We look at our sin and we say, how could I be a son of God? And you're trapped. But we have the right to live like sons because Christ paid the price for our sin and has given us adoption as sons. And the third thing I want us to see this morning is that by the Spirit, we are given the power, the ability to live like true sons of God. Look down at verses 6-7. through Of your text. Paul there explains. Right. We've been adopted because Christ redeemed us. And then it says. And because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying. Abba. Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son. Then an heir through God. As one reads through the Gospels, it's hard to miss the intimacy of relationship that is displayed between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus does not live like a slave seeking the acceptance of a Lord. Rather, He lives in the boldness and confidence that He is on a mission sent by His Father. And several times throughout His ministry, Jesus was confirmed in the fact that He was loved by His Heavenly Father. For example, when Jesus was baptized, we read this. That he immediately went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father looks down upon his son and declares, I love you and I am pleased with you. And what is so unbelievable about the Gospel message is that it is not an invitation to take up a new set of rules It's not an invitation to take up a new set of rituals. Rather, the gospel is an invitation to be adopted into this family of love. It is an invitation to put on Christ. Remember from last week, you can look up just a few verses where Paul says in verse 27 of chapter 3, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, okay, just take that picture of Christ being baptized. We receive, He received the Holy Spirit, a sign of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been joined to Christ through faith. And being joined to Christ, you have put on Christ. Or as Paul says here, you have been given the Spirit of the Son. The old self has been covered. The sin has been cleansed. The shame has been erased. For all of those who have been joined to Christ, you are now clothed in His righteousness. And now you can live in His Sonship. And when the Father sees you, He sees you clean and righteous. And He declares over you, This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know that? Do you feel that in your heart? That as you relate to God, God's words to Christ are spoken to you as well because you have put on Christ. You have His righteousness. You have been declared justified in God's sight. And therefore, when God sees you, He says, you are my beloved Son and I am well pleased with you. This is the declaration that is made over you who are in Christ. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. You are adopted. You are accepted. You are loved. No more striving. No more fearing. No more shame. You have been given the Spirit of Christ by which you call out, Abba, Father. Now to call God Abba, Father is bold. It's almost presumptuous. For the word Abba was a child's way of speaking to a father. The people of God at this time, the Jewish people, would not even use or write the personal name of God out of fear of profaning it. Even to this day, many Jewish people will write God G D so as not to profane the holiness of God's name by becoming too familiar. But Paul is saying to the Galatians and the Spirit of God is saying to you today, if you are in Christ, if you have been accepted into the family by grace through faith, then the Spirit gives you the right and the power to call the eternal Holy One of Israel. The one whom angels hide their faces because of his holiness and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole world is filled with his glory. That God, you are willing and now able and now have the right and the power to call him your father, to say, He is my dad. We feel almost presumptuous to call God our daddy. But the Spirit within us gives us the right to call Him Abba, Father. Not does it give us only the right, but it cries out, You are my Father. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live out the reality of our sonship in Christ. For it is the Spirit within us that gives us the utterance to call God Abba. It is the Spirit that convinces us that witnesses to us that we are no longer slaves but sons. It is the Spirit that empowers us to live no longer under the law. It is the Spirit that frees us from our sin. And therefore, if you would live as a son and not a slave before God, if you would have confidence in your inheritance, you must receive the Spirit of Christ, the seal of our inheritance, the witness that we will truly receive. The inheritance of life everlasting. Now, if you happen to come by my office on a Sunday morning between services, you are bound to see at least one of my children. Maybe my son hanging out waiting for Club 56 to begin. Maybe my youngest pulling books off of my bookshelves as she did this morning. Or my other children may be searching through my desk for mints or other snacks. Now, thankfully, my office is not open to every child in the church or I'd be completely overrun. This is not an invitation to allow your children to come into my office. I don't allow other children to rummage through my desk or rifle through my books. However, my son, my daughters, they have rights that others do not. They are my children. And therefore, they have access to my space, my resources, and my time. This freedom that they have might seem presumptuous. There's a boldness that they possess that allows them to come into my office without invitation. However, it is my joy to share what I have, to share with them all that is mine. As you can imagine, as a pastor's kid, they have unique struggles and responsibilities in this body. Yet they also receive unique blessings and opportunities and rights. Other children in the church call me Pastor Weber or even Dr. Weber. My children call me Daddy. Other children must be invited into my space. My children come at will. Other children have to wait to be offered a treat. My children know if they find something to eat in my desk, it's theirs. And I wonder... What would your life be like if you began to live out the reality of your sonship before God? If the fear and the shame were replaced with boldness and power, what ministry might you pursue? What joy might you have in this life? What bold risk might you take for the kingdom? Because you are a son, all the resources of heaven belong to you. You are not a slave. You are a son. So what will you do with these resources? Will you bury your talents out of fear of failure? Or will you boldly set forward in faith, serving and loving and witnessing, knowing that you are fully accepted by your Father? For you are no longer under, but you are above. You are no longer a slave, but you are truly a son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we come and even in this moment I confess that there's a hesitation in my spirit to call you my dad. There's a hesitation to say Abba Father. It does seem bold and presumptuous. It seems too familiar. Oh, would you pour out your Spirit in our hearts that we would be a people who would not hesitate to call you our Abba Father. Would you give to us the security of our forgiveness and of your love to us, your acceptance of us in Christ. Holy Spirit, oh, witness to us yet again, for we have forgotten, we have been overcome by our sin and we have forgotten that we have been freed and that we have an inheritance. May we live in such power and freedom and joy this day. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.